Specifically, we've been learning about our Christian walk, how we walk, how we walk out our lives. And if you need a Bible, we'd love for you to have one in your lap this morning as we go through it. If you need a Bible, raise a hand. Steve will get you one. Raise your hand. We've got plenty of Bibles back there. As we look at Galatians 5 this morning, talking about our Christian walk. Uh, the whole chapter of Galatians 5 really lends itself to a searching or an examination, an examination of ourselves. And all too often we think that, you know, our problems, our difficulties, the things that we're going through, they're, they're really outside of us, right? It's, it's somebody else's problem that is causing my problem in my life. And everything would be fine if, if people just treated me right or if people just treated me a certain way or if my circumstances that I'm in just got better. But it's not really, it's not really me. And that sounds great and all, but that really ignores the basic theme of this entire chapter. Many times the problems are, in fact, within us, and they need to be dealt with by the Spirit of God. God wants to deal with those things. Uh, Augustine used to often pray. He said, Lord, deliver me from the evil man myself. Dealing with ourselves, you know, it's kind of a, a reality check, if you will. Doing that self-examination, that reality check. You know, we can, we can see a new world when we do that. We can see a new life in us when we do that. You know, not one person or one circumstance or anything like that has to change if we just stop and think for a minute. How successful are you at changing somebody else? Husband, wife, how successful are you at changing them? Probably don't have such a great track record with that, okay? <laughs> Doesn't really work too well, right? Because we're responsible for ourselves. We're responsible for changing, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us and allowing Him to impact us and allowing Him to change us. And so we have to do that by yielding to the Spirit of God and then truly walking in the Spirit. Simple, right? Simple enough. A lot of you are shaking your heads like, yeah, right, you know. <laughs> yeah, right, you know. Well, thankfully, you know, Paul, the Apostle Paul lays it out for us. He's going to help us with it this morning as we look through chapter 5. He, he, we're not going to look at the entire chapter. We're going to look at a part of it, you know, getting back to some of the basics, you know. It's a stick figure. That's how I draw stuff right there, guys. That's, just about, the, that's about the extent and the limit of my drawing. I need rulers and protractors and all that other kind of stuff to draw lines. So that's, that's about as good as it gets. And thanks to uh, Lori for getting that together back there. But getting back to the basics, really. It's kind of like with football. You have to get back to the basics. It's about blocking and tackling. Getting back to the basics. How do we just listen to the Holy Spirit in our lives? How do we listen to that? How do we, how do, we do that? Well, Paul starts off the chapter. Um, if you look at Galatians 5 and verse 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So we have freedom in Christ, right? We have freedom in Christ. But we have to avoid being entangled with that yoke of bondage, that yoke of slavery that we had under the law. 
Paul then goes on and talks to us a little more about the foundation being built upon love. In verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty, our freedom in Christ, do not use that as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then Paul wraps up the rest of the chapter by instructing us on how to live out that liberty that we have in Jesus. How do we live it out? And it's all about our Christian walk. And hopefully, um, as Tim said, you guys have been able to come out to some home fellowships. A lot of what we've been talking about is our walk. And, and what is our walk again? You know, that's just kind of like Christianese. You know, it's for how we live out our lives as believers, right? It's how we, how we live out our lives in this world that we're just passing through, right? This is not our home, right? We're just passing through, as the Word tells us. Stand with me. We'll read Galatians 5, starting in verse 16 together, and then we'll, we'll pray one more time. Galatians 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we get to study it, Lord. We thank you that we get to hold it freely in our laps this morning. Father, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your Spirit today, Lord, that we can understand your word. And more importantly, Lord, we can take the things that we learned today and apply them to our lives. That we can walk out of here changed because of what we are reading in your word today. Help us, Father God, we now and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So we can't use our liberty to walk however we want, right? Look again at 16. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Simply put, if we walk in the Spirit, again, instead of trying to live by the law or trying to do things outwardly, if we walk in the Spirit, then we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I think we could probably just stop right there. Any questions this morning? Thank you for coming. So simple. What an awesome promise we have right there in the Word of God. The fear of the legalist, you know, the law keepers that Paul was talking to during this time, you know, he's uh, talking to believers that have come out of the law, you know, that walking in the Spirit would kind of give us a license to sin, if you will, license to do whatever we want, right? Oh, I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want, you know. So we need legalism to kind of keep us in check because we've got to be doing something, right? I've got to be doing something so God's happy with me, right? No, there's nothing. That, of course, it's just plain wrong. There's nothing more that you can do to make God love you more. Did you get that? There's nothing more that you can do to have God love you more than he already does right now. Nothing. Nothing more. So to walk in the Spirit, first off, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit lives within us when we become a believer. Second, it kind of opens us up. We have to be sensitive to the influence of the Holy Spirit on our lives, and we'll, we'll talk some more about that as we go through. And then third is that we need to pattern our life 
after the influence of the Holy Spirit. So as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, speaks to us as believers, we have to do something about it, right? We have to do something about it and then pattern our life after what we do. Um, what, what we can tell, you can kind of tell if someone's walking in the Spirit, right? We can tell, right? Guess what? Who are they going to look like? They're going to look a lot like Jesus. That's right. Someone who's walking in the Spirit. Jesus told us before he left that he was promising us the Holy Spirit. He would promise that I have to go away, but I'm going to give you a helper, the Holy Spirit. He promised that he would send, some, send him once he departed. But do you know what the Holy Spirit does? It promotes Jesus. It speaks of Jesus. It points us to Jesus. When someone walks in the Spirit, they listen to what the Holy Spirit is doing as he guides them and puts them on the path and nature of Jesus. It's about him. Look again at the promise at the end of verse 16. It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, notice, and you might not be able to fulfill the lust of the flesh. It doesn't say that. My, that's, a diff, that's a nearly inspired translation. Okay? It says, you shall not, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There is no way, no way that the flesh and the lust of the flesh can be there if you're walking in the Spirit. It can't. You can't do it. Now, if you're trying on your own and in your own strength, okay, maybe a possibility. But the, the two there don't go together. Walking after the flesh and walking after the Spirit, they are complete contrasts to one another. So we're going to look at that some more as we go through. The key here is how this righteous living that we're talking about, walking in the Spirit, not living under the dominion of the law. And what is the dominion of the law? That's all about our own effort, right? That's all about what can I do? What can Brian do to please God, right? That's all, it's all about my own effort. It's an outward effort. It's not an inward effort. Living after the Holy Spirit and following after the Holy Spirit, listening to the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life is all about what? It's all about the inner man. It's all about the inner man. And it's a battle. All too often, guys, it is a battle. And it's a battle, as Tim shared this morning, it, it, it's the battle that's going on in every Christian. Don't think for a minute that your battle is any different than somebody else's battle or your battle that you're going through this morning is something that no one's ever seen before. The Word of God says that there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Satan wants to whisper in your ear, oh, well, what will people think? What will people think if they hear what you're going through? That's a ploy from him to prevent you from coming before the body and asking for that healing. Just like Tim, man, what an awesome example from our pastor this morning to ask, be asking for prayer. We all need to be doing that as believers. You remember he shared a couple weeks ago what Damien Kyle says, and he gets up in the morning every day, and he looks in the mirror, and he says, I'm going to battle you today. I'm going to battle the flesh today. Guys, we go to battle every day, battling our flesh. Again, verse 17, right there in the middle, it says, the flesh and the spirit, these are contrary to one another. They don't get along. They don't mesh. They don't go together. It's like oil and water. They don't mix. It's kind of like 
UT football in winning. Oh, they just don't go together. I don't know. Roll Tide. Uh, <laughs> when the flesh is winning, when the flesh is winning the inside battle, guess what? Verse 17, it says also, you don't do the things that you wish. As a believer, our desire in our heart's desire with the Holy Spirit in us is to please God, is to please Him, to serve Him, to serve other people. But when we're losing that battle and we're succumbing to the flesh, we're doing the things that we don't want to do. We don't live the way we want to. We don't, and we're living after the flesh, and we're living as the old man. And the old man, if you guys remember, he was crucified with Christ, dead, buried, gone. When we came to Christ, we nailed it to the cross. Nailed the old man to the cross. Paul now gives us another part of this amazing promise. Look with me at verse 18. But if, conditional there, you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Not being under the law. Then we don't have to be, right? Because you fulfill the will of God through the inner influence of the Holy Spirit in your life instead of the outer influence of the law. Did you catch it? So the law, all it does is affects the outward man. Oh, I need to wash my hands a certain way, or I need to do a certain thing here. I need to follow a certain steps of doing this before I partake of this. Or do. It's all about the outward experience. Following after the Holy Spirit is all about allowing him to change the inward man. Because once we allow him to change the inward man, guess what? It's going to come out of you. It naturally is going to come out of you. And Paul's going to give us some more examples here. Again, contrasting walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. Look at verse 19. He kind of starts off a little bit of a list here. Not really an exhaustive list, but let's look at it anyways. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and if that wasn't enough, <laughs> and the like. He <laughs> adds there. Paul says that it's evident. The battle between the flesh and the spirit in every believer, although it is taking place on the interior, it's an invisible battle in every believer's life. The results will always be displayed outwardly, no matter how hard you try to hide it. Outwardly. Did you notice that in verse 19? Underline that word. The works of the flesh are evident. That means that they are apparent, they are known, they are made manifest before others. You can also think of that as just being, they're plainly seen. So don't think for a minute, guys, that you can hide that stuff. Well, wait a minute, uh-oh, now we're in trouble. You mean that my inner battle, what I'm go what's going on, is being displayed how I act outwardly? Absolutely. <laughs> and it's going to be influenced one way or the other. Are we living after the flesh? It's going to be displayed outwardly. Are you living after the Holy Spirit speaking into your inner man? If you are, it's going to be displayed outwardly also. 
This is why as believers, I mean, again, another perfect example and a picture of what Tim shared this morning, we are to confess our faults one to another. There is no one perfect, guys, okay? None of us are perfect. None of us have reached perfection. We will never obtain perfection. We all blow it, okay? We all fail. Got to wipe it, you know, dust off our arms, get up, start over, share with one another so that we can be prayed for because it will absolutely be evident. I like what Spurgeon says. He says, if you will read the chapter, you will notice that the apostle has used no less than 17 words here. I would say almost 18, he says, to describe the works of the flesh. The human language is always rich in bad words because the human heart is full of the manifold evils which these words denote. And Paul just used a handful of words here, right? Because he also says, and the like. So we're going to look at a few of these. We're not going to get into them real deep, but just look at a few of them so we kind of understand where Paul is coming from. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness there in uh, verse 19. These are all sensual sins relating to sexual relations. You know, we're, we're, most of us are appalled by the sexual immorality of our day, of our culture. You know, Tim alluded to that with teaching our youth and what, what, they, what they see. They're, you see it every day. You flip through TV, whatever. I mean, it's in the news, it's in the media. You know what? It's kind of hard for us to understand, but during Paul's day when he wrote this, it was pretty bad, if not worse, than our day today of what was going on. Almost seems impossible, right? Adultery is violating the marriage covenant. The marriage covenant. It's included in a list of a lot of manuscripts. You know, some of them is, you know, the NIV it's not in, and certain certain ones leave it out. But, you know, it's also included in the next word there, fornication as well. And we're going to look at adultery and fornication. Um, Flip over to Matthew 5. A few chapters to your left there, Matthew 5. I'll put it up on the screen as well. Matthew 5, 27 through 13. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, expounding on the law. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for the whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So what is Jesus saying here? Cut our body parts off, right? No. We'd be a bunch of stumps sitting in here right now if that were the case, okay? We'd all be called Matt, you know? What do you call call a guy, no arms, no legs? Call him Matt, okay? We'd all be a bunch of Matts just sitting in here. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying cut off your body parts, okay? Not saying pluck out your eyes. What he's saying is, guys, take drastic measures. It's that important. You know, if you can't control your addiction to pornography, rip out the cable. Turn it off. Rip it off. Take drastic measures with whatever it is. If you're dealing with alcoholism and you're dealing with medication, get accountability in your life, whatever it is that you're dealing with. Take drastic measures. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying here. Get accountability in your life to what you're dealing with. 
help you through it. Come alongside another brother, another sister in the Lord. Have them hold you accountable. Get help. Don't try to do it alone. Back in Galatians in 5, so fornication, pornea, again, pornography, that's the word, that's the root of the word, illicit connection between single and unmarried persons, you know, uh, again, signifying adultery also, lewdness or liciousness as the idea of you're just ready to sin at any time, just living free, doing whatever, you know. Man, do you not see that in the news today? Look at some of these pride marches and stuff. You talk about uh, lewdness and liciousness, just they flaunt they flaunt their immorality. Throwing off all restraint. No shame. Who cares? This is me. Plenty of that in our culture today. Verse 20, what about idolatry, sorcery? These are kind of uh, religious sins, if you will. You know, the, they are uh, sins of wor- worship. Worshiping false idols, false gods, you know, it's not just tragic if somebody worships the wrong God, little g, okay? Um, it's also sinful as well for them to worship the wrong God. And we can do that if we're not careful. We can put things in our lives that take the place of God. That's idolatry. Worship of anything except for the Lord God is revealed to us through the Holy Scriptures and through the person of Jesus Christ. When we serve God... People serve a God of their opinion, right? You know, it's found in first opinions, you know, right? They serve a God of their own creation. Well, I just don't think God's like that. Well, doesn't really, God, that's not the God I read in the Bible. So God is like that. So who's wrong? Let's go to first opinions. We need to delete that book. Okay, that's wrong. Serving a God of their own image. That's idolatry. And someone might say, well, yeah, that's fine. You know what? Don't, don't judge me. I can believe whatever I want. And that's true. You can believe whatever you want. But you know what? There's also consequences that they will bear for their wrong belief. Sorcery is translated in uh, NIV as uh, witchcraft in some scriptures, some translations. Uh, you know, it's the service, worship of the occult, spiritual powers apart from the true God. Guys, we live... In a, we are battling, our battle is in the spiritually heavenly realms, okay? It is real, okay? Spirituality is real. Don't mess with the occult, okay? It is a real thing. Messing with sorcery and that kind of stuff, man, this time of year with Halloween and things like that, man, it's just, they, they dumb it down to play school level, okay? We've got to be very, very careful with that. Sorcery can also be translated as Pharmacy, it's the word pharmakia, right? Um, Using drugs, potions, spells, you know. Today we call them prescription medications, you know. (laughs) Back in Paul's day, they called them hallucinogens because they messed with your mind. They they altered your mind. And the occult was always, um, that was always a part of the occult, is, is, you know, messing with people's minds and trying to change their minds. On in verse 20, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders. All of those are people-related type sin. Things that, how we treat other people. Do you think God cares about how we treat other people? He's got a whole list of things there about how 
we treat other people. He definitely cares about sexual and moral and our purity, but he also cares about how we treat other people. He uses a lot more words here to describe uh, the treatment of other people. It's very important to him. Hatred there, this is really gets down to it's an attitude of the heart. How somebody expresses their, their actions, right? You know, it's hatred is the attitude of our heart, and they, they're displayed in all of those other words there. Contentions, outbursts of wrath, all of those things there. Ill treatment toward other people. Hatred is always the inner motivation in how we treat somebody. Wrong. It's always the inner motivation for the ill treatment of other people. Because what's the opposite of that? Love. Right? If you truly love somebody, you can't hate them at the same time. It just doesn't work. Right? Love is the inner motivation for being kind and good treatment to other people and being serving other people. You know, law, laws can be passed all day long to punish, you know, evildoers, to punish people that break laws. But no law written by man can ever fix the problem of the inner hatred. That can only be fixed by the power of the Holy Spirit coming into life of somebody. Outbursts of wrath, I mean... Sudden flashes of anger, not, you know, just going, losing it, losing your temperature, blowing your top, you know, being unable to control your anger. Envy, okay, this isn't so much as like, you know, being jealous. This is more of uh, you're bitter just because somebody has something that you don't. Man, that guy gets a new car every six months and he just, man, just, and it kind of builds there, envy, okay. Drunkenness, revelries there, these can be thought of as like, Social sins, kind of like what happens with the people we're hanging around? What goes on socially, you know? Hey, everybody's doing it, that kind of stuff. The fact that Paul includes these here in his list shows that they can be works of the flesh. And these were works of the flesh that the Galatian Christians had to be on guard against. Uh, we'll look at it quickly, Romans 13, 12, and 13, one of the Part of the list here in Romans 12 and 13 lists drunkenness and revelries as part of the Christian's past life as we now walk in the light. That's part of our past. shouldn't be part of our current walk. Social sins, you know, the people you hang around with. We're always telling our kids, you know, I don't care if you like it or not, the people you hang around with will influence your life. They will influence your life. Who do, you, who do you hang around with at work? Who do you hang around with in the lunchroom? Who do you hang around with when you're going out to whatever, the movies or whatever, fill in the blank? Are they a positive Christian influence in your life or are they a negative influence? You have to ask yourself these. You have to be very careful with this. These words here are very, I mean, these defined our pre-Christian lives and they should not define our lives after the Lord. Drunkenness is clearly described as one of the works of the flesh. Now, again, a lot of Christians differ on this. You know, can Christians drink? You know, do they, can, should they have alcohol? Should they not have alcohol? Re regardless of your stance on that, Scripture is very clear and forbids drunkenness. Okay? You want to enjoy a glass of wine at dinner? That's between you and the Lord. Okay? But drunkenness clearly 
where the line is drawn in Scripture. We must not think that, you know, it, it only means being fallen down, you know, passed out, can't even stand up, drunk, okay? The idea behind the word drunkenness in Scripture here is means being impaired to where your thoughts are now impaired by drink, by drug, by potion, fill in a blank, okay? Anything that alters our impairment is what is being described here. Well, I'm just going to have a little to take the edge off. You're basically saying, I just need a drink or potion or drug so I can become a bit impaired. I can impair my judgment so that the reality I'm living in is not so bad. That is a sin as a believer. I don't care what your stance is on drinking. I don't care what your stance is on having a glass of wine with a favorite pasta or whatever. It is a sin to be drunk and alter your mind with drink, with drug, or potion, or anything. Okay? Ephesians 5.18 describes drunkenness as dissipation. Dissipation. What does that mean? Dissipation. We don't really use that word very much. It's literally translated wastefulness. The Bible is saying that it is a waste of your life as a believer to get drunk or to impair your judgment. You've got to be very careful. There's so much, guys, you know, I mean, Tennessee ranks top in pharmaceutical drugs and how they're manipulating people's lives and oh, I just need another pain patch. I just need to be very, very careful with that stuff. Paul wraps up the section here at the end of verse 21 and the like demonstrating that this is not an, exhaust, an, an exhaustive list. You know, as if we can sit here and say, well, you know, what I'm dealing with is not on this list, so I guess I'm good. Yeah, no, he kind of wraps it all up here, doesn't he? <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't let anything go by, right? And thankfully, you know, Paul tells us the danger of all these things. Look at verse 21 in the middle there. It says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, those that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't toy around with this stuff, okay? He says, I tell you beforehand, which I told you in times past, meaning that Paul often instructed Christians in these things, meaning that we, guys, I can't tell you how many times we've been through Galatians 5. I can't tell you how many times we've been through this, and the fruit of the Spirit, Paul taught on it over and over and over again because he realized how important it is to the life of the believer because it's a daily walk, right? It's a daily struggle. It's a daily battle. It's a daily fight. We need to constantly remind ourselves of these things because just the opposite is true is what he says there in 21. Those who practice such things. Practice means that you continue in them with no remorse. There's no repentance. There's no remorse. There's no sorrow for violating what God said. So what's at stake? Now, you know, God's a gracious God. He will, he'll forgive me. Very true, yes. But if we habitually practice these things, Paul says you're not going to heaven. And I would question that if you're even a Christian to begin with. Because if, you're, if you have no remorse for what God says in his word, I'd venture to say that you probably don't have the spirit in you yet, okay? Be very careful because he tells us what the danger is, that you don't go 
to heaven. Practicing these things. This is not talking about somebody that committed adultery or dr- fell on their face, you know, in fornication or sorcery or drunkenness or any of those. It's, it's speaking of a continuation in those things, okay? It completely ignoring and silencing the voice of the Holy Spirit that's sitting there saying to you, stop it. Walk away from it, Christian. Stop it. Listen, okay? Listen to that. It's a habitual continuation of those things. And I love how Luther puts this because he really wraps it together. Christians also fall and perform the lusts of the flesh. David fell horribly into adultery. Peter also fell grievously when he denied Christ. However, great as these sins were, they were not committed, notice, they were not committed despite God, but they were committed out of weakness. When their sins were brought to their attention, these men did not obstinately continue in their sin. They stopped and repented. Those who sin through weakness are not denied pardon as long as they rise again and then cease to sin. There is nothing worse than to continue in sin. If they do not repent, but continue to fulfill the desires of the flesh, it is a sure sign that they are not sincere. We're going to fall. We're going to blow it. But are you sincere in your repentance when you fall? Oh, Lord, just forgive me again. Okay, check that off. I repented. I'm good. Moving on. Or are you really remorseful of your condition and remembering that Christ died for that stuff? that we don't even have to play around with those things anymore. Paul tells us, he transitions now from all of those things which are works of the flesh to a life in the Spirit. We'll go through these as well. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. After going through the previous list, you know, the works of the flesh, you know, seem pretty overwhelming. But you know what? It's all around us. It's, it's, you know, it can be in it. Man, we can be careful. can get it in us. But God is good enough, and God is big enough to change all that with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit can always conquer the work of the flesh. Always conquer the work of the flesh. He will always give us a way out. Significantly here, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, is kind of in contrast to the works of the flesh. Works are works, fruit, fruit, okay? Lots of different characteristics between the two. You know, fruit isn't achieved by working things out. It it's comes just by abiding in Christ, okay? Fruit reproduces itself. It nourishes, it's attractive. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Christians blow this all the time. It is fruit. It is not fruits, Okay? You're not a bunch of fruitcakes, okay? It's not fruits, okay? It is the fruit of the Spirit. God's overall plan for a life of a believer is that you get all of those. It's not like the gifts of the Spirit, okay? The gifts of the Spirit are absolutely, you know, plural. Gifts has an S on the end, okay? A little English lesson. That's really ironic that I'm teaching English right now, Okay? All right, so gifts of the Spirit, there are multiple gifts of the Spirit, right? And he distributes those, each one according to who he sees fit, okay? Fruit of the Spirit, very different. In the life of the believer, guys, you get them all, okay? You get them all. 
and all of them stem from the very first one. It's very fitting that Paul started off his list here with what? Love. That's agape love. Unconditional love. And you know what? It can be said that, you know what? The following eight terms that come after that can all be encompassed into love. And really, all of the other ones is what love looks like in action. That's really what it can be summed up as. Loving people who aren't easy to love. Loving people that you don't like. And it's also helpful for us to understand that the works of the flesh, in light of the works of the Spirit and the love of the Spirit, they're in complete contrast to one another. And really, the works of the flesh, really, if you think about it, it's it's a violation or a perversion of what God really intended love to be. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, guys, those are all counterfeit love. Counterfeit love. They never satisfy. They never, you will, you will always be chasing it and chasing it and chasing it because it never satisfies the way God intended love to satisfy. Idolatry, sorcery, those are counterfeit forms of love of who God truly is in that love relationship that we get to have with him. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. All of those guys are the opposite of what love really is. Drunkenness, revelries, partying, all that kind of stuff. Man, those are just sad attempts to fill the void in your heart, to fill that void that only love can fill. Don't try to fill them with those things because any of that stuff, that those, all those lists that Paul went through before, when we try to fill our lives with those things, guys, it's like trying to fill a giant hole with a tiny little ball. It just keeps going through. And it doesn't matter how many you put in there. It just keeps going. It keeps falling through. But then when the love of Christ comes in, it's bigger than that hole and plugs that hole up and it fits in that hole. And only God's love can fill that. Only God's love can fill that void in your life and in your heart. Then he goes on, you know, joy. Man, one of the greatest marketing strategies, I think, of Satan is that he positions the kingdom of Satan, his, his kingdom as a place where, that, that's where fun is at. You know, how many of you said that, oh, when you, when you became a Christian, oh, man, you're going to, you're becoming a Christian, you, you got to give up all the fun stuff, right? What a ploy of Satan. And that the kingdom of God, man, that's just a place of doom and misery. There's never any fun in the kingdom of God. Man, our joy that we have. Spurgeon said that, you know, believers are not dependent upon circumstances. Their joy comes not from what they have, but from what they are. Not from where they are, but from whose they are. Not from what they enjoy, but from that which was suffered for them by their Lord. Joy. Joy. We have joy no matter what we're walking through. Again, Tim and his family share that they're walking through a difficult time right now. You know what? Did Tim look like he wasn't full of joy this morning? The guy still has joy in his life because of Christ in his life. We have peace with God, peace with people. It's a positive peace, you know, blessings. It's not simply the absence of, you know, a fight. We have peace, knowing what the outcome is. Long-suffering, patience. Man, we don't like that word. 
Long-suffering means that, you know, that we can, we can have love and joy, right? Peace over a very long time. Patience. I don't like being patient with people. People get to me. They irritate me very easily. Right? How long-suffering is God with you? How long-suffering is God with you? Man, when you kind of put it in that perspective, God is not quickly irritated with us. He's not sitting there, man, he's doing it again. He's doing it again for the thousandth time. He's doing it again. Man, maybe we shouldn't be so quickly to be irritated with other people because he is so patient with us. Kindness and goodness, two words very closely connected. You know, goodness has the idea of generosity, being generous. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You'll be generous with your time. You'll be generous with your service. You'll be generous with serving other people, being kind to other people, because it all stems from the love that we have. Faithfulness is the idea of continuing on, the characteristic of, of a man of God that is reliable, somebody that is, you, you can count on them no matter what. You call them up in the middle of the night, and you know you can tell them something. You can talk to them. Gentleness. Really, the idea of gentleness is not like, you know, you're petting, petting a little soft dog. You know, not like, it has the idea of being teachable. That's the idea behind gentleness. Are, are you teachable, Christian? That's very important as believers that we remain teachable. Well, coming to church on Sunday morning, Pastor Tim's going through Ephesians. God, I've been through that so many times. I mean, I'm not going to get anything out of this. What a waste of time. I'm just going to stay home and do something else. Are you teachable? Guys, we have to be teachable and remain teachable. It's the opposite of not, of kind of having that attitude of like, well, I already know it all. I've been a Christian 20 years. I know it all. You know, I got it all figured out, right? Morris goes on to say it's about, gentleness is more about, it's important for Christians to see that really, Really, in our society today, he goes on to say that the, the whole self-assertiveness, you know, who you, you know, be, be proud of who you are and stand up for your rights, women's rights, men's, all these, all those things, guys, should not really be valued highly. <laughs> it's much better for each of us to curtail those desires and, pro, and, and exercise proper meekness or gentleness. Self-control. Wow. Self-control. He wraps it up with self-control. The world knows a little bit about self-control. You see it every day in news and media and social media, right? Everybody, everybody can talk about social, self-discipline, right? Man, self-discipline. Man, just working out, eating right, you know? They know the world knows about self-discipline. The world knows what self-control is. Lots of books about it. However, the self-control of the spirit is a lot different because self-control of the world always points to our always points to us, right? Because man, if I just work out more, if I eat right, eat better, my next Instagram post will look a lot better. It's all about you, right? Self-control of the spirit will always work on behalf of other people. Your self-control 
in the spirit will always work on behalf of somebody else to make somebody else's life better. Your self-control, how you control yourself, how you carry yourself will always work on behalf of other people. That's the self-control of the spirit. He goes on to say, against such, there is no law. Finally, wraps it up here. Look at verse 24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Did you notice that it says in verse 24 that we have crucified? It's past tense. Have crucified the flesh. God has a place for our flesh. He has a place for our passions and our desires. And where they are, they're nailed to the cross. They're nailed to the cross. That's where the place is for those things in the life of a believer. They're now under the sentence of death that he paid for. That's where they're at. You know, Paul could have used another word. He could have just said killed. But I think he used crucified here in this text. Because what does it do? When I say crucified, it reminds us of what Jesus did for us. When I say crucified, it reminds me, you know, that I'm called to wake up every day, pick up my cross, and follow him. It also reminds me that the death of the flesh, when we talk about crucifixion, one of the most gruesome ways of death ever, sometimes the death of our flesh is painful, isn't it? It's not easy, Right? You ever been around someone that's coming off of drugs or trying to come, come off of a high or get that, you know, out of the, out of the, man, it's not, it's painful. It's not pleasant. The battle with the, the death of the flesh is painful. Remember, we are in that battle. We're in that battle every day. And it also reminds me when he talks of crucifixion that our flesh must be dealt with decisively. We must choose to crucify the flesh. Did you notice it says those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh? Who is it speaking of? It's the, speaking of the believer crucifying the flesh. We're the ones that are directed by the power of the Holy Spirit to pin that stuff to the cross. Nail it up there. Don't allow the old man to come back. Don't take on that old man that we have from, from Adam. We're, it's crucified. The work is done. Romans 6.6 6 says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. You see, that's what we do when we pick our flesh up and we follow after the flesh, guys. You become a slave to sin again. Contrary to walking in the Spirit. Again, here in Romans 6, 6, it's in the past tense, was crucified. When you became a believer, it was crucified on the cross. Also, Romans 6, 11, we're also told to reckon the man dead. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, we're told to put it to death, put our flesh to death. We're also called to choose to work with God through the power of the Holy Spirit to keep the flesh in check, crucifying our flesh. 
we must continue in it. Just like we can continue in, habitually we can continue in sin, we also need to habitually continue to crucify the flesh. Because our flesh, again, it is never satisfied. Never satisfied. It will always yearn for more. Problem is, we have to be, you know, continue to deal with that until we get what? Until we get our resurrected body one day when the Lord comes back and takes it. Until then, we are to constantly nail it to the cross. Okay, just make sure you're using the right end of the hammer. Nail it up there. Use the head of the hammer. Don't use the claw to keep unpinning it. Okay, use the right head of the hammer. Okay, some of you ladies in here have never seen a hammer before. Like, what is he talking about? Okay, just leave it to the cross. Leave it there. Don't keep taking it back down and playing with the flesh again. Leave the old man pinned to the cross. Notice it also says in 24, Paul says, with the passions and desires. Man, our passions and desires, are they things that are chasing after this world? Are our passions and desires things that we find in Scripture? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Again, this whole chapter has been about self-examination. And he wraps it all up in verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. We have to continue to walk in the Spirit. And guys, we have to be careful as believers. Paul put this in here for a reason, not to become conceited. Again, a know-it-all, someone that thinks that they got it all figured out, and then they start looking down, they start looking down their nose at other believers because they're dealing with something else. Think of a young believer, you know, finally, finally things are starting to click, things are starting to make sense, they're walking in the Spirit, and then Satan tempts them to be conceited about it, to be prideful about it, as, well, you're right, and everyone else is wrong, and even to the point of becoming ill will toward another believer because, well, they're not walking how you are, and you're walking perfect, right? That's what, being, that's what he says. You have to be careful about becoming conceited because the outcome is we provoke one another, we envy one another, and that's exactly opposite of what Paul wants us to happen, wants to have happen in our lives. Again, this whole chapter, it's leading itself and lending itself to the searching examination of your spouse. No, no, of yourself, of yourself, okay? Quit trying to change other people. Let God do it. Let God change them. He does a much better job at changing somebody. And allow him to change you. Don't quench the Holy Spirit, guys. When he's whispering those things to you, hey, stop. Stop. Don't do that. Listen to that. He will, the Bible says that he will always provide a way out. Always. If you can't, if you can't deal with it, if you need help with that, man, that's what the body of Christ is for. Guys, this, is, this should be a hospital for people. People, okay, for broken people. This is what the church is intended for, to help. We're not intended to do life alone as believers. There's no Lone Ranger Christians out there. We're intended to do life together. And this whole chapter here is about examining ourselves. And, man, I hope today that it, it spoke to you and really prepared you because today we're going we're gonna to partake of communion here in just a few minutes. But we're gonna, we need to take a few minutes, guys, and really do the self-examination. This, this has to do with examining the speck in your own eye and ignoring the plank in your brother's eye. 
okay? This is about self-examination. Allow the Lord to speak to you. If the worship team wants to come on up, we'll uh, prepare here in a time of, uh, for our time of communion. And I like what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11 and 28. Speaking around communion and how to, how to partake of communion and how to partake of the Lord's Supper, he says, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So as the worship team is going to play here for a little bit, we'll spend time examining ourselves. And then as the Lord leads, you can come up from your seats, come up here, you can grab communion, partake together, go back to your seat, you can partake up here at the altar, whatever the case, whatever you want to do. As the Lord leads, partake with your family, just partake together. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Father God, Lord, that we don't have to do all these things on our own. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us the power of the Holy Spirit, the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. As we walk out our lives together, Lord, I pray that we can be open with one another, Lord, and ask for the help that we need. Because there's not a single person in here that's not dealing with something. As believers, Lord, we're going to continue to battle. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with us. Thank you for being long-suffering, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your love that we read about this morning, your agape love, your unconditional love that is poured out and displayed love in action. You going to the cross and dying for us. Father, as we partake this morning and remember what you did, Lord, I just I pray, Lord, that we are moved to do something different. I pray, Lord, that we are encouraged, Lord, to continue to fight, continue to get up and battle the man, the old man, to battle our flesh every day. Come along one, one another, Lord, come alongside one another, Lord. Lift up our arms our brothers in arms, our sisters in arms, lift up each other, Father God, and encourage one another to continue to fight the good fight. Thank you, Lord, also that we know the end, Lord, we know the outcome, that's, and that's why we have joy, Lord. That's why we have peace, that's why we have hope in our lives, Lord, because we know the end result. You're going to come back. You're going to return and fulfill everything that you said you were going to fulfill, Lord. So I pray we're encouraged by all this today, Lord. Be with us now, Lord, as we partake of the elements, remembering what you did for us, Lord. Help us to, our examine, help us to examine ourselves, Lord. Do that fine surgery on our hearts, Lord. Get in there and take out the speck out of our eye, Father God, that we may be able to see you more clearly. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.